brand new sound for your Sunday morning. The only one who could ever teach me. Introducing the Reverend A.R. Bernard of the Christian Cultural Center. Well, the son of a preacher man. And Rabbi Joseph Fantasnik of Religion on the Line. The only one who could ever teach me. Now, on 77 WABC, the Rev and the Rabbi, where faith matters. Good morning, I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend and I know, Rabbi, you usually start these conversations off, but I will tell you, given everything that's been happening this past week in the Middle East, it really puts a spotlight on leadership. What does it mean to be a leader? What should we expect from our leaders, especially in times of crisis? So I'd like to know, what, what, you know, what does it mean to be a leader, Rabbi? Look, you look at our tradition, our respective tradition, look at leaders, and look at the prophets in particular. They were not afraid to take a stand they were not afraid to challenge the status quo. They were not people who were invisible uh, or, you know, reluctant to speak. One of the problems I have today is there are people who claim leadership titles. And by the way, some of them are members of my community uh, who claim leadership titles. And when there is a crisis, all of a sudden I ask, you know, can you find Waldo or can you find some of these people? You know, those who are opposed to us have no problem getting in front of a camera and microphone and saying something. But I want to see leadership. I want to see Jewish leadership because I see these people coming into synagogues before elections, various holidays, various celebrations. But when they're and this week has been a week of crises, people in Israel are under attack. Where are you? That's wasn't that the first question in the Bible. Where are you? Well, we're asking it again. That's a good one. I like that, Rabbi. That'll preach. That's a good sermon. <laughs> so you're talking about elected officials or you're just yeah, you're talking elect- about leaders in general? No, I'm talking about elected officials who have, I think, a, a special responsibility. They ran for office for a reason. They said they were going to stand up, you know, uh, for people. And when I when I don't hear and see them, uh, I'm, I'm very suspicious of the claim to leadership. Leadership comes with responsibility. Leadership comes with courage. If you, if you don't have that backbone besides the and the jawbone, then what are you doing there? You know, then find find something else to do. So, what do you say to the the leader who says, "Well, this is that's a that's an international issue. Um, it's not local, and I'm a local politician, local elected official. You know, what does that have to do with me?" Well, I to me, when when you are a leader, uh, it's local, it's global. Uh, New York is the capital of the world. The Pope said years ago, uh, Pope John Paul II, or Pope Be- one of the popes, Pope Benedict. And I'll never argue with the Pope when he says New York is the capital of the world. I, I think you have. Responsibility to address issues uh, that that do impact people here. You know, we have a significant Jewish population. Uh, you know, 1.2 million Jews in New York City. As a Jew, mm. I want to hear what you have to say about things that are important to my people. I want to hear what you have to say about pe- things important to other people because it defines you. You can't compartmentalize and say I'll only talk about you know uh, the homeless. I'll only talk about crime, but I won't talk about anything else. Well, to me, that's that's not enough. I expect more. Of you. Hey, look, I, I agree 100%, and I think that we should hold our elected officials uh, not only uh, concerning the greater good, but specific uh, communities. I mean, you know, I want to know what a politician feels and thinks and has plans concerning communities of color, you know, especially uh, communities that have been disenfranchised um, or marginalized. I want to know what's that politici- politician's position. You come to get our vote, you come to our church right. service. Exactly. What are you going to do? You know, what are you going to say when the time comes that uh, we need a voice, you know, so I understand that and I respect that with the Jewish community and I think you guys have uh, have, um, you know, and you're not monolithic, you're a very diverse group, mm-hmm. politically diverse, so 
socially diverse, but there is this there is this oneness of voice when it comes to issues on Israel and the Jewish people. Well, I found there's there's no voice coming from certain people. Uh, you know, I, I want to hear what you have to say. You know, the word accountability has been thrown about quite often in many contexts. And when you're a leader or you claim to be a leader, you're accountable. And that means we ha- you have to develop a record. And that record, you know, uh, remember in school, you, if you were absent, you know, delinquent, whatever, uh, it showed. We want to have a report card. What do you say? How do you address the various issues? And we don't say anything. That's a negative. That's not a, a, a neutral. That's a negative. And I, I, I just, I'm concerned that there are a number of people that we uh, have elected who are not there to speak when we need to hear their voices. Say something. Speak out because you certainly had a lot to say before you got elected. But let's hear what you have to say now that you are elected. I agree. Accountability. That's part of leadership. You know, I've heard leaders. I have heard leaders get up and say, "I am accountable." Uh, that's during the election cycle. That's during the campaign. Yeah, the day after, right? Yeah. Show me what <laughs> you did the day after, and I'll show you how sincere you were the day before. Moses, you know, it's interesting, probably the, one of the first fundraising campaigns Moses conducted in the uh, building of the sanctuary. People had to contribute. But Moses didn't just collect. He had to give a report. Mm-hmm. He was accountable for the funds he collected. So, you know, you call yourself leader. It comes with responsibility. And... uh I, I, I just think that some people um, have a uh, not a passing grade, a failing grade when it comes to fulfilling uh, the leadership commitment. Now, we I have like someone that, today. We have someone today who's running for a leadership position, Commissioner Catherine Garcia. Uh, CEO of the city of New York. That's the position. $90 billion budget. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. you know, when, you, when you're CEO, you got to make some tough decisions. And uh, we're going to ask her about, you know, does she have that, that strength, that inner strength to say, I'm going to make some cuts here that may not be popular, but if we're going to, uh, you know, survive as a city, we have to cut here, we have to put it there. And she's done that uh, during her uh, uh, career, professional career. So let's uh, yeah. have that conversation. So we'll be back with more of the Rev and the Rabbi right here on 77 WABC. Rabbi Joseph Potasnik, the Rev and the Rabbi, where faith matters. 77 WABC and WABCRadio.com. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Potasnik. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. Reverend Bernard, there are a number of candidates running uh, for mayor. We are privileged today to have one who's received the endorsements of the New York Times and the Daily News. I'm referring to the 43rd Commissioner of the Sanitation Department, uh, who established an impressive record there, as well as other crises that she's managed. I'm talking about Catherine Garcia. Hello, Commissioner Garcia. Oh, please do call me Catherine. It's great to be with you. Thank you so much. I think the question that you're often asked is, why Catherine Garcia? Looking at all the candidates, why should people vote for you? The city is in a real state of overlapping challenges, and we need somebody who knows where the light switches are and who can get the work done, but with a real vision about how we expand economic opportunity and make strategic investments in green infrastructure. But it is about making the day-to-day government, schools, sanitation, uh, work for everyone. That's a radical notion that we are here to serve all the residents of New York City. So if you're able to handle the challenges of sanitation, food emergency uh, that you handled during uh, I think, uh, Hurricane Sandy and COVID, uh, then you're ready to be the CEO of the city of New York. Is that what you're saying? 
I am absolutely ready. I've been ready, and I'm ready to take the role on on January 1st. All right. Well, see, Rabbi, if she would have hired me for her campaign strategy, I would have linked the two, Commissioner of Sanitation. Now she's going to clean up the city, get running the way it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I wasn't invited on that. So. Uh, communications, there's always opportunities for more on the communications team. You hear that, Rabbi? But so, so the question is, you know, you, you, you've got this experience in the government uh, running an agency, um, and now running a city, but there's a lot of politics involved. How do you address the politics that go with this office? There are politics in every role that I've had. This is just going to be a bigger format. I've been effective at working with the city council and with the state legislative folks uh, to move big projects forward. Uh, and this is a moment in time where the electorate is desperate for someone with experience. That is what they want. Uh, and that is what I that is the race that I am running. So we've got issues of crime, education, the economy. Let's start with crime. I mean, that's a big deal. The mayor is, you know, uh, taking a lot of heat and now putting out some type of a strategy to deal with issues, uh, whether it's in our judicial system here, uh, parole systems. You know, um, what is your approach to the rising crime? It has been really quite shocking how the the expansion of gun violence, the Asian hate crime being up so much, and subway crime. We have to be a city that is safe or we can't do anything else. It's foundational, which is why I put out a plan to work with our federal partners on stopping the flow of guns into this city. Uh, we don't we don't have a gun manufacturer here in the city of New York, but somehow we are have we have a lot of guns here to do a gun buyback program and actually increase the dollars we're willing to pay because any gun off the street is worth it. Uh, ensuring that the gun suppression division of the NYPD is strong uh, and that. We do real neighborhood policing where those neighborhood uh, police officers are able to spend real quality time understanding what the community needs uh, and what is happening in that community. But we also know that they're the fundamental drivers of crime. They need to have people have opportunity because if you don't have opportunity, then you're not waking up every day and going to work. People don't commit crime if they're going to work. If they're you're going to bed early or waking up early, that 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 keeps people away from the criminal justice system and supporting that and having people be very vibrant uh, in their pursuit of their careers is what I'm focused on. But you know, we're going to have to do some police reform. We have to have a better disciplinary system. We, we need to raise the age of cops to 25. We need them to live in the city. And we need to have better training and better comp set program that really talks about how are you keeping the community safe and have a guardian attitude to the community rather than a warrior attitude. So, Commissioner Garcia, two words that create a lot of controversy these days, bail reform. And many people argue you've taken away discretion from judges. We're allowing people to commit crimes, go back into the street. Uh, there are no consequences or minimal consequences. How do you address that issue? Bail reform is not supposed to mean that we are not adjudicating crimes that people are arrested for. You would, you, before bail reform, you would just get out on cash bail. Uh, having the system work effectively and having courts quickly adjudicate particularly violent gun violent crimes is absolutely critical part of this equation. But we do need to make sure that there is some discretion in the system for someone who is a repeat offender. Um, that is something I've said before, but I believe in bail reform and that poverty should not equate 
to being kept in prison compared to someone who is wealthy. Commissioner, if I may, and, and this falls under the, the economy because uh, whoever becomes mayor uh, is going to be facing a serious deficit uh, on a city level and we're statewide as well. And we're going to have to make, make up somehow um, that deficit and move the city forward. One of the areas that falls under that is the serious housing crisis. You know, uh, we are seeing uh, a, a the lowest level of housing supply since the 1970s. And millennials, you know, they're not buying homes. They're renting apartments. They're not buying cars. They're 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 taking Uber. You know, um, how are you going to respond to that reality in the city? I am incredibly thankful to the federal government for the amount of federal dollars that are flowing both into the city and into the state. Uh, that will allow us to get back on our feet and really drive this economy so that we have revenue coming back in. But part of the reason people are renting still is how expensive it is to buy uh, because we do not have enough housing in this city. We just don't build enough. And we have to end uh, discriminatory zoning that doesn't allow duplexes and triplexes in some areas uh, that gives families, more generational opportunity. Uh, we have to make it possible to legalize accessory dwellings and speed up the overall construction process because in construction, time is money. Uh, and getting more units built is imperative because those are the homes for people. So Commissioner Garcia, uh, and we're talking, by the way, with Commissioner Catherine Garcia, one of the mayoral candidates. I read somewhere that when you were commissioner, uh, there was a major budget cut, and yet you were able to be effective, not curtail services because of the budget cut. Talk about that and how you would address the current budget. Where's the blow? What cuts would you make? Oh, we, we have to be efficient at delivering services and with an eye towards the fact that taxpayers know that we need to pay for teachers and everything else, but they want, they want value for their money. Because uh, those are their hard-earned dollars. For example, in the Department of Education, there's $130 million I would immediately cut out of the headquarters to make sure it's in classrooms and with principals. Because we know that these kids have been very traumatized over the last 15 months. It's been incredibly challenging for them. Uh, and they're going to need all of those different programs that will make it possible for them to catch up on their learning uh, and catch up on their social and emotional needs, like art and music and theater and sports. Uh, this has to be part of every child's experience so that we have real critical thinkers graduating into a 21st century economy. Where, where did you, uh, now you, your agency suffered, what was it, a billion dollar cut? Years ago? Uh, so when I was at BP, we cut the operating budget by $100 million uh, without doing a single layoff. So you're not afraid to, you're not afraid to take a scalpel, you know, to, to a budget. Yeah, you need to take, you need to take a scalpel, not an act. And you gotta work I, with labor to get it done. I, I, I like that. Not a scalpel. I, I, scalpel, not an axe. I get that. <laughs> no, no, that, 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 that makes a lot of sense. But what's, what's the appeal at the end of the day? What's the appeal? Why should people vote for you? What sets you apart from the rest of the pack? The, the real differentiating factor here is I understand how this works and I have the experience and the track record 
for having gotten really hard things done. And I have a real vision for where we want to go, how we really do make this a city where we're more connected and there's more opportunity and it's more livable and affordable uh, so that we're not just trying to do hashtag policy. We're actually really going to change people's lives. You know, I, I was walking down the street to the studio and I walked by many empty stores, some large, some small. And obviously, this is going to be one of the great challenges you have to confront as a mayor. How do you bring business back when business has left? And I know people who went to Florida and said, we're not coming back. We're doing okay down here. What do you say? <laughs> uh, I'm going to say that Florida was there before and Florida will be there after. But New York City, as it gets back on its feet, is going to be the place you want to be. It will be the place that you want to stay, the place you want to come back to, the place you want to visit, and the place you want to do business uh, because we are the most exciting place on earth. But we also do have to support our small businesses with because they're 50% of our private sector employment. You know, By cutting the bureaucracy, that means you have to go to eight different agencies before you can buy a bowl of soup. By expanding opportunities in the public realm for businesses to be able to do business. Uh, by giving out 0% loans to support businesses. Um, they are not only important as an employer, but they're how we experience the city. It is usually in your retail establishments how you feel walking down the avenue. Uh, whether or not that feels vibrant or whether or not that feels desolate. So those spaces are incredibly important to activate. Where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi, 77 WABC. Commissioner, you, 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 you said that the pandemic spurred your decision to run for mayor. Uh, what about it? What about the pandemic inspired you to look to take on this big responsibility? The pandemic has revealed uh, strengths and weaknesses in the city. But what it also became crystal clear is that the mayor of the city of New York and how they govern is having immediate impacts in people's lives, whether or not that's how the school was getting open or how vaccines ended up getting rolled out. Those day-to-day -day decisions impacted people and could not be papered over. So that is why I decided to run. You know, and it's getting that message out because, you know, the more I read uh, in terms of articles, et cetera, and commentary, you know, people don't know you as well as they may know some of the other candidates. But the reality is that you weren't just the commissioner in, 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 in name as, as a sanitation chief. That's a $2 billion budget and some 10,000 employees that you had oversight over, correct? Oh, yes. Yeah, no, it's a, it is a big place, but it also has a mission that you have to do every single day. The big difference between me and even some of the other candidates who have been in government is every single day there is something that had to happen so that New York City could stay safe and clean. And we are excited about the endorsements from the Times and the Daily News, and we'll be doing all those things you do on campaigns to reach voters and make sure that they know, uh, know who I am and are ready to vote for us on January on June 22nd. Reverend Bernard, I have to tell you that uh, I mentioned to Commissioner Garcia that uh, if you refer to her as the 43rd commissioner and you ask people, okay, who are some of the others? I, I know I always get a blank stare. And yet you've managed somehow, Commissioner, to distinguish yourself because you're not afraid of challenge. You're not afraid of crisis. As a matter of fact, you thrive uh, during those periods. Where does that come from? Where did you learn how to do that so effectively? It's driven really by the jobs that I've had. 
You can't fail if you're delivering people who might go hungry. You can't fail if the if you're not going to plow the snow. An ambulance might not get through. In Hurricane Sandy, it's like we've got to get these these treatment plants back up and running uh, because otherwise, oh my goodness, we might close every beach in the middle of you know. These, these are all real challenges. Uh, people could have gotten sick. Uh, when you know that what you do has an impact on your neighbors, it gets you up in the morning. Yeah, you're an early riser. I read somewhere, right? Yes. You don't you don't sleep very much. I, I get some sleep, but it's I, I like to be up. I, I know that having your pulse on the beginning of the day uh, is very important. Well, I can appreciate that because I, I sleep because I have to, and I think you understand that, uh, yeah. Commissioner. Oh, that's, <laughs> we have to get that's that some excuse. Why sleep? Yeah, hey, you know, look, you have creative ideas. You, 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 yeah. you, you have, have an to, opportunity. Yeah. I have you to know. sleep also, but I, I don't get it. So, uh, <laughs> I, I got to be more like you, Rev. I got to try to get more sleep. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Yeah, we were this past week, Commissioner. Uh, I was at a gathering. Uh, there was a desecration of a mosque in Brooklyn. There was a desecration of a church in Brooklyn. There were two people who happened to be Israelis who were attacked in the street this past week. Hate crime is on the rise. Um, yes. And, you know, it's it's not enough to talk about it. What do we do about it? Yeah, there, there, it, is, it is really um, very disturbing, uh, the amount of attacks that we're seeing, the amount of hate crimes. And there are a couple of points we have to do as a city. One is we've got to stand up for each other each and every time and call it out. The second piece is we've got to have patrol officers where these these events are taking place. But the third longer term is ensuring that in our school curriculums, we are learning about all of the different communities that make New York City thrive and celebrating those contributions. So we stop talking about people as other. Everyone is human and trying to take care of their family and have their children do well in this world. Yeah, I mean, I don't remember a time when we were, we saw people attacking one another, not for what they did, but for who they were. I mean, you look at yeah. anti-Semitism, anti-Asian prejudice. Uh, it, it's rising exponentially. Uh, it's not a slighting. No, any increase is unacceptable. But what we're seeing now, it you know, it makes people afraid to walk Trickling, down the street. Want to hide, yeah. Want to hide yeah. their identity? Yeah. I I I was uh, I heard Justin Justin Yu, who's community leader in Chinatown, and his granddaughter had said, "Granddad, I don't want you to take this up anymore. I'm worried. That is not the city we should be living in." Yeah. We have to be celebrating our diversity because it makes us stronger. Uh, Absolutely. And, yeah. and you that's, know, that's what we're about. Yeah. I, let me ask you a question. You know, we've seen a, uh, a particular leadership style in Michael Bloomberg. We see another style in uh, our current mayor de Blasio. What's the difference between de Blasio's leadership style and Catherine Garcia's leadership style? Oh, I have a very different leadership style. Uh, my approach to leadership is you need to build a strong team, you need to empower that team, and you need to hold them accountable because then you are effective. Uh, but you got to be listening all the time as a leader to both the people who work for you but also to the people that you're serving. Like, does what you've put forward work for them? Uh, and then articulating that real vision of the future for New Yorkers is so important. And that 
team and that approach of being much more uh, visionary and, and really around leadership and delivery is different than the current than the current mayor. You know what I find very often, and Reverend Bernard and I have discussed this, that to be an effective leader, you can't just have people around you who will validate everything you propose. You have to have people oh, no. who are ready to challenge you. Uh, and I, I never understood how people think it's acceptable uh, to have all, you know, the sickle fans and the people who just will give you, a, you know, that uh, stamp of approval on anything you say. That, to me, uh, it is a recipe for disastrous leadership. No, it is. And having an open door and having people come in and tell you what you don't want to hear is so much more effective. Yeah, um, yeah. And so far, I've definitely been able to cultivate that, let me tell you. Yeah. The truth to power seems to not be a problem for any of my staff. <laughs> yeah, we find the world a religion, right, Rev? People are not afraid <laughs> to tell us what they think. <laughs> no, <laughs> not at all. Yeah. And, and, and speaking of religion, what is your understanding of the role of the religious community under a Catherine Garcia administration? I want everyone of faith to be able to celebrate their faith uh, without restraint uh, because I understand how much people's faith supports their mental well-being uh, and gets them through their day. And uh, in, in particular in times of crisis that we lean into our faith. So in my administration, I want to see everyone able to celebrate across the city regardless of how they choose to celebrate or if they choose not to celebrate. Um, but I know that for most people, you know, faith has been absolutely critical through COVID. Commissioner Garcia, I'd like you to make a promise if possible. I find there are people running for office who consult with faith leaders who visit different houses of worship. And you know what happens the day after. It's like in, we have religious ceremonies. The day after, people make all those promises. You don't hear or see them again. The role of faith leaders in a Garcia administration so I see them being very centered in the administration. You know, I've worked, you know, at Sanitation, we had clergy in the department uh, of all different types, and they were incredibly important in in how we as an agency move forward, whether or not that's during times of tragedy uh, to give comfort or in times of celebration uh, to be a part of that. Uh, and, you know, we had, we called upon them to help us uh, when we needed it. Right. Not just a prayer, not just an invocation or a benediction. Uh, no, I mean, actually one of my, one of the priests who used to work uh, at the department uh, passed away, and I have to say I still do miss him, even though I love all the other ones too. Well, Monsignor Dale and other folks in the department, but I do miss Father Pete, really good guy. In the same vein, um, too often um, politicians fail to appreciate or understand the deep connection between the congregants and their religious leader. And many of them experience their own personal lives vicariously through that representative. And we bring more than just constituencies and, like Rabbi said, an invocation or a benediction. Uh, because when there were certain crises in the city, Commission of Religious Leaders, of which Rabbi and I and Cardinal Dolan are the executive committee and a host of diverse representation of religious uh, leadership across the city, you know, we came together. And our mm -hmm. presence and our voice was very, very important. Um, do you affirm that? 
with your administration, if, you know, with the mayor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, you reach other constituencies all the time uh, that I may not reach and that I need to be reaching, uh, but also as a real ability for us to have partnership uh, moving forward. So I am, I have always found the, the faith community in the work that I was doing to be really extraordinarily helpful in how you were effective. Yeah, I think the city could not deliver some of the services that are desperately needed without cooperation uh, with the no, faith communities. No. Right? No, they, they, and in, in some cases, the faith communities have actually been much more in the leadership that the city has followed mm. on tackling some of the biggest challenges, whether or not that was food insecurity, um, or real compassionate services for folks who are homeless. Uh, the city has often followed what the work has been of the city. And I think those partnerships are so important, um, in our feeding program. Uh, we, we usually, you know, uh, fed some 25,000 people a year, but last year we did over 100,000 people. And it's interesting, um, seeing the diversity of people who are coming for aid at different levels of society. Uh, some who were middle class and, and, and lost their jobs mm -hmm. and now they're struggling. Um, so that partnership with the city is so important to do what essentially the, the city can't do on its own without um, uh, our faith-based uh, entities. Uh, would you say, Rabbi, the same yeah. in your community? Yeah, no, community. no, we, we need, you know, we talk about uh, that we are partners in this creation. We, we, biblical uh, tradition teaches mm -hmm. us we're all partners, but we need to carry that message forward. And I think... I think there are some leaders who understand that, and some, because of whatever their feelings about religion, try to, you know, uh, stand back a bit. Uh, and they don't engage with the faith community as much as they should. So uh, I'm glad to hear you make that kind of commitment. Before we let you go, so I heard one of the candidates say, you know, Catherine Garcia does such a great job. I would make her a deputy mayor in my administration. <laughs> right? And I ask you, should you be mayor? Is there any one of the candidates that you would make a deputy mayor in your administration? Do you want to reciprocate with anyone? Uh, to, to be quite honest with you, I think that planning out your administration before you've run the race is a little premature. All right. Catherine Garcia, 43rd Sanitation Commissioner and uh, an impressive resume. Uh, we wish you luck. Uh, and maybe the next mayor of New York City. We don't know. We'll see what happens, yeah. Rabbi. Uh, We've got yeah. momentum. <laughs> yes. Thank All you right. for being on the program. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Robert. Thank you, Rabbi. Nice talking with you. Bye-bye. Yeah. And we'll be back with more right here on 77 WABC. The Rev and the Rabbi. Reverend A.R. Bernard, Rabbi Joseph Fantastic, where faith matters. The Rev and the Rabbi, 77 WABC. Welcome back. I'm Rabbi Joseph Fantastic. And I'm Reverend A.R. Bernard. You know, Rev, uh, as we were speaking with Commissioner Garcia, I thought of uh, earlier days that I was privileged to have lunch uh, periodically with the uh, Former Mayor Ed Koch. I, I knew him after. I knew him during uh, his term as terms as mayor, and then later on, we was no longer mayor. We used to sit and talk, and he was a the consummate New Yorker, and he was not afraid to take a position, whether you know it was popular or not. And to me, that is an essential leader. You you say things because it's principle. It's the right thing to do, not because you're looking to get more votes. And I think people get caught up sometimes, if I say this, will I, you know, what will be the plus, what will be the minus? 
that's not the kind of leader, you know, that I want to see in office. Well, I think it's important that a leader deliberate on what they can say and what they can't say. Um, to be sensitive to certain realities, certain communities, certain differences, because this is a very diverse city, uh, and I think it's important, but not to become paralyzed uh, and indecisive as a result of that deliberation. I think that's where we, you know, they have to draw the line. Um, but. I, I think sensitivity to the community that you're serving is, is, is important, especially as diverse as New York City. You know, something I want to talk to you about, uh, I got a call from one of the reporters talking about the squad. He says, you know, what are your thoughts? I said, look, the squad makes its position very clear. I am more concerned with people on the other side who don't speak out. You know, uh, people who are opposed to you very often have no problem standing up and saying exactly what they're thinking. But if, you know, in the case of Israel, for example, if you support the people of Israel, if you support the position of Israel, I want to hear it. I, I just don't want to be taken for granted. And I find that we have leadership, unfortunately, that does not speak out vociferously, that is invisible. Uh, and yet they'll say, well, you know, you know, you know me, you know who I am. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> uh, I know you, I know you, but what I hear and what I see not but what you're, you know, I'm not a mind reader. I don't Yeah, you know, so much has been politically hijacked, even religion and any issues around uh, religion, uh, politics and the economy. I mean, so much has been hijacked by politics in our society. Everybody's concerned about not being labeled or not being identified with a particular side. And I think that it's important to have a position, to have a conviction, and not necessarily bash someone else who has a different notion, a different idea, but at least stand up and speak up for that position. Um, especially now that you brought it up, I mean, we've gone through an interesting week uh, in the Middle East uh, with the nation of Israel and the Israeli situation, the Palestinian situation. You know, there are those in our Christian community who uh, the liberal tend to take the side of whoever they deem to be the oppressor or the oppressed and want to fight for them. And in this case, leaning towards the Palestinians and paint a picture of the other side as as a, as a bully, in this case, Israel. And there are those in our Christian community who are very pro-Israel and, you know, no matter what. They feel that Israel uh, is protecting uh, itself and has a right to exist as a nation, as a society, which I agree with. But I think that we have to hear both sides. And that's why you and I get along so yeah. well, because we look at we look at both sides of the argument. Yeah. Uh, to, look, to quote a famous rabbi that I know, uh, there's merit on both sides. There is fault on both sides. And this is not drawing a moral equivalence between the Israeli government and, and, and the Palestinian situation. But the reality is that we, listen, we need to hear both sides of the argument and well, not simply decide who's right and who's wrong. Yeah, but I think we also need to make moral distinctions. I can accept the fact that someone else has a different narrative. But what I cannot accept is when you have a terrorist regime that has total contempt for for people, that uses its own people, that hurls missiles, over 3,000 missiles against people indiscriminately. 
that to me is morally outrageous and offensive. And it, it's unjustifiable. You want to talk well, about the Palestinian people in the aspirate, you know, two-state? That's Let's have that discussion. But don't tell me that Hamas is a legitimate representative of the Palestinian people. Well, see, you, you just said, you just articulated my, my concern and the problem. And that is... Many outside of the Middle East or who are unfamiliar with the details of it, because we had celebrities weighing in and some of the comments that they were making were so uninformed or misinformed. It was ridiculous, you know. So, yeah, we, we, we kind of stand back and, and make all these judgments without understanding what's going on in the context. And because most of the press presents Hamas as representing all the Palestinians, and they're not, you know, that's, that's where the disconnect is. You know, if, if you ever thought or people ever... Uh suggested, as some have, that the Jews control the media, I think this week disproved that myth. When you see the media accounts, we don't, if we control the media, we'd be telling a different story that is being depicted in many media outlets. Uh, but I, again, you know, uh, two-thirds of Israel was subjected to attack. That means in the United States, that would go to bring us to Colorado. Can you imagine if all the states were subject to attack uh, just to about Colorado, uh, from east to Colorado? Can you imagine what we do? We traveled to around the world to get bin Laden, that terrorist. And we think that Israel should somehow accept, you know, the, the firing of missiles at their populations and people, you know, hiding in bunkers. That's acceptable. That's a legitimate aspiration of a people. I, I don't get it. I, 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 I it. Well, again, I don't think that represents the Palestinian people. I believe it represents, you know, uh, organizations who want to misrepresent the Palestinian people and represent themselves. And, and look, we, we all understand that, that Hamas is, is fueled by Iran and, and Iran, you know, has made it clear that they do not believe in the legitimacy of the state of Israel right. or Israel's right to exist and, and, and that that land should belong to the Arab nations. So, and, and that's the thing, Rabbi. How do you, if you have a neighbor, all right, and that neighbor feels that their position is that you need to be annihilated, all right, how do you reason with someone you know, like you, that? How do you negotiate? You, you, don't, you don't negotiate what time you're going to be annihilated, how much of me you're going to annihilate. <laughs> Those are not. Matter of fact, my tradition says if someone comes to annihilate you, you better strike back first because otherwise you won't be able to strike at all. And well, I, think if, I think if the Palestinians really seek to live together, they need to come sit. There have been concessions offered time after time. If you're simply going to reject concessions, you're not going to get anywhere. I think Palestinians should be angry at their leadership because they have not responded to the needs of a people and they need to separate themselves from Hamas. Yeah, to what degree can they hold, you know, can the Palestinians lead, uh, hold a terrorist leadership accountable. You know, how, how, how does that happen? How does that take place? I will say this, Rabbi, if Mexico decided to shoot, shoot rockets into the United States, I don't know if we'd sit down and try to negotiate a peace agreement before defending ourselves. I don't know about I remember, that. I remember the blockade on Cuba, right? Missile yeah. crisis, and we, uh, we blockaded Cuba. I mean, we, we protect our people. We need to protect our people. That, to me, is a religious tenet. You, you cannot tr treat life callously um, with contempt and I, I would hope that reasonable people come forward and say 
the path on which we've traveled is not the path that's going to bring us an enduring peace, if that's what you want. If you want to live in conflict, well, then you continue the same way. And I, I think people have to make a choice. You know, the Bible says I give you life and death. Choose life. I think people, Palestinian people, uh, have to sit with Israeli leadership and say, we together must choose life. That to me I love that. I love that. That's the way to end the program, Rabbi. With life. Choose right. life with life. Absolutely. All right. All right. Well, Next week is great. We'll be back with more of the Rev. And the Rabbi.